Okay, so we have um, Ida, my daughter, wants to have a little piano intro for a second. Is that okay? okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, play. Now, this is something she just made up especially for this podcast. It's really setting the tone for the show. I have two grown-up teeth in the back. In Mesopotamia, the oldest evidence of beer is believed to be a 6,000-year-old Sumerian tab- tablet depicting people consuming a drink through reed straws from a communal bowl. A 3,900-year-old Sumerian poem honoring Ninkasi. The patron goddess of brewing contains the oldest surviving beer recipe. In China, residue on pottery dating from uh, 5,000 years ago. This is epic. Shows beer was brewed using barley and other grains. And as far back as a month ago, a carboy of homebrew was fermented, bottled, and is being drunk in the art shed near Lake Baspinock, known for containing paintings in a little-known podcast. I'm Mad Carl. I'm Normal Andy, and this is Welcome to the Art Shed. That's us opening beers. All right, that, that was All a right. fucking and we've got a, we've got a guest host, Chris. Producer Chris couldn't make it today, so we've got guest host Phil Restino. I'm the other Chris. Yes, you're the secondary Chris. The secondary mutant. Chris. You're yep. the mutant Chris. The uh, the uh, you know when the when Kirk had like a bearded like i've got a goatee yeah yeah i'm from the evil dimension the evil dimension right yeah the evil kirk i'm just up to no good you know when i was born uh the doctor said should have been chris (laughs) Mm -hmm. right exactly what are you gonna do there was already a chris there was already a chris that's right there was one already yeah but uh yeah we also have with us uh eric landmark who is a uh Filmmaker, musician, uh, he's been in bands like uh, the Used to Be, Zerobot, Numbers, Arms and Legs, and I'm sure at least five or six others that I don't know about. Uh, Eric, how are you doing? Hey, Andy. Hi, Carl. Hi, Phil. What's up? What's up? So we have Thanks one for, minor segment. Which it, oh, we have one minor seb- segment which everybody can comment on. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry to, to, to just get into this. And cut you off, and then Eric. we'll interview. And, and, <laughs> no, actually, it's going to lead into a song uh, that Eric wrote or played. I don't know if you wrote yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, did you, you write it or play it? Or we could we could we'll play it and we'll ask him about it. Which okay. One? So, um, so the the segment is called "We're in a Plague," and we want to hear facts about a plague. It's called. Plague facts. Wow. Uh, so, so you know, our, I think the show sounds better without producer Chris. No. <laughs> I mean, Chris I'm, really I'm doesn't just, do anything. I, I know. He, he just I'm says just... it. He's a very interesting person. So, um, I'm just joking. Yeah, no, we we can joke. Chris, we, we're just joking. No, we're not. I, I think it definitely sounds better. Uh, <laughs> during the Middle Ages. People tried several ways to cure the plague, including trying to be happy, avoiding bad thoughts, drinking good wine, avoiding eating fruit, 
putting fragrant herbs in beverages, avoiding lechery, not abusing the poor, eating and drinking in moderation, <laughs> fuck that, maintaining a household in accordance with the per- person's status. So that's the place. Is that like you can pick three or do you have to do all of those at once? I mean, maybe those are all different things they tried. I not like that not the- abusing the poor is an alternative lifestyle for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I don't want to get the plague. Yeah. Even right. if- oh, yeah. So is that basically not interacting with the poor? Not abusing. <laughs> no, it's not not torturing them. Yeah, not like making them like lay in a puddle while you drive your oxen over it so they don't get muddy or something like right. that. Or a horse or something. Yeah. I don't know how you treat the poor, Andy, but, you know, historically people haven't treated them very well. Right. Right. Yeah, right. And, like, and, and there was no question that that was uh, okay. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the poor knew it too. <laughs> piss boy, it. piss boy, bring yeah, up right. this bucket. What did the poor do during the plague? They just died. <laughs> they didn't abuse each other, I guess. Or tried not to. Ah. They maybe they avoided eating fruit, but that sounds like actually that would give you the plague even quicker. Right. I also like that there's a social climbing aspect to this where you have to uh trick the gods into thinking you're you're satisfied with the status that you currently occupy. Uh that's awesome. So it's like we, trying to fool the plague. Yes. So we have a song here that, that Eric <laughs> Eric made. Uh it's called uh what's it called? Death is an all too common thing. Is this it's so it ties right in with the plague facts. Yeah. You want to say a little bit about this before we play it, Eric? Um, it's one of the uh, songs I wrote. Um, it's it's similar to uh, actual old time songs, but uh, maybe just a little bit exaggerated. <laughs> Perfect. Death is an all too common thing. Death is an all too common thing.
Yeah, morbid yet catchy. Yes, very <laughs> upbeat. Uh, it's actually, it's actually um, kind of a combination of styles. Uh, the the song itself and like the theme of it are are more of like an older, uh, you know, eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds uh, style of uh, old time country. But then the arrangement of it, like with those harmonies and stuff, is more like uh, kind of like nineteen forties Bales Brothers or something. So. <laughs> uh-huh. I I I mean I've heard you play that song a bunch of times and uh, I didn't realize you wrote wrote it too, Eric. That's pretty amazing. It really sounds like an old song. Thanks. Yeah. And you got a wailing and gnashing in. The I know that, that. That's one of my favorite lyrics. Where did I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's you know it just comes from listening to all that stuff and then when you try to write something you you just kind of imagine what they would, how they would have written it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I pictured uh, you with a straw boa, you know, hat. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. And then um, the other, the other thing that came to mind is there's a really cool band that I randomly found while digging through like old CDs. And I ended up like, like uh, going to a show at Johnny D's once where they were like rolling through town. Um, it, they were called the Asylum Street Spankers, <laughs> and they were like, like a twelve-piece, like crazy, like old-timey band. But uh, they were they did some really cool stuff. And uh, and then one time I, I used to live in Somerville, Mass. And one time I looked in the like paper, and they were at Johnny D's. So I went and saw them. They're so good, and uh, they kind of do like old-timey tunes, but they they do like roll me up a funny cigarette, you know, like stuff like that. It's, 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 it's really good. You got to look them up sometime. And I found them in like the record bin once. And, uh, I just like got so into them. When you bought their record, Carl, was it because of the cover? Like what made you get a record? You didn't know Uh, because of the cover. It was like 12, like crazy looking people. And like there, there was a, one of them was a woman. She sings and, uh, all the rest were dudes with like, random like stand-up bass and banjos and and they had one of them had like a paddle and they were like we're the asylum street spankers <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just like such a crazy name plus the band looked like they were like wacky and they yeah. were everything and more than i thought they were <laughs> what so what got you into this type of music eric probably started with uh like in high school uh learning about um, Johnny Cash and Hank Williams Sr. And then mm-hmm. going backwards from there, like Carter family. And, and uh, I don't know, it was like, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. Like the, the, all these songs that have like super dark themes about, you know, death being a reality of life. And, right. And, uh, and I don't know, it's just great. So, and the, <laughs> the, you know, the weirder, the better. Yeah. Yeah. I just, is the tradition that they're uh, they're upbeat songs with morbid morbid subject matter? Yeah, I think that was one of the things that struck me about some of the recordings in the in the twenties. It was uh, how to modern ears they sound kind of a little on the upbeat side, but then the lyrics are about you know much darker. Mm. And uh, but I think when they to, to the people that made that music, I, I don't think it sounded like that. I think it just sounded like a normal song and they were just singing about 
you know, normal things in life. Right. You, I mean, do you think it's connected to like I, where the last plague was in the 1920s? No, I, I, I think it's do you think it's connected to like the lack of like mixing and technology and stuff they had? They just had to like play. They couldn't like go to the studio and make it better. They just there was no studio. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Like they had to like play what they could play, you know, so they. Well, always... Yeah, well, that that old time music, mountain music or whatever, uh you know, it's like a mix of older older ballads that came over from Europe and and American religious music that get gets reworked in the mountains and uh, you know fiddle tunes. There's like a whole and like you know old like uh, minstrel songs, like a whole grab bag of stuff that were the, what those were the songs that ended up getting recorded in the twenties. Right, they were songs that people had been singing and playing for years before that uh and and you know and not it's not all about death you know there's lots of like love songs and uh that's probably mostly what it is is like love songs but like do you think it's like and the lyrics are like regionalized and stuff like that uh yeah for sure like the styles and there's different regional versions of different songs like some of the more famous murder ballads, like uh, Pretty Polly or something, like they had different styles in different regions, and people had different lyrics to go with that in different regions. Yeah. Did you just say murder ballads? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they. That, that was a th- thing. It was they would, they would sing ballads, which were slow songs, and and lots of times they were about a murder, hmm. and sometimes it was it was based on an actual murder that happened uh like i'm kind of forgetting now but i think pretty polly might have been or not pretty polly but um banks of the ohio that's another famous murder ballad that that one might have been based on a actual murder sometime in the mid 1800s i think and hmm. and then it eventually got recorded in the in the 20s yeah that feels much more like where maybe uh johnny cash is kind of coming from in a way well johnny cash yeah uh he um he was i guess he was he was conversant with that old those old ballads and stuff yeah i don't know if he was like totally a scholar of them but right growing up where he was he absorbed it I, i mean dylan took a lot of the old songs and like used like the melodies and everything and and uh but just put new lyrics to them. Right. You know, and uh, like, I think that was like a folk tradition. And then, yeah, it, it starts changing in the, in the fifties. Well, I guess after world war two um, in the fifties, when the beats start coming in and then there starts to be a, it's kind of like the first hipsters become aware of, of old time music and start treating it as a, as some kind of like pure folk music or something. And I, in my opinion, it gets kind of warped there, mm-hmm. but, uh, and Dylan, I like Bob Dylan, but he was definitely part of that. You know, like he, he loved Woody Guthrie and, and, um, uh, reworked some of those songs being like really with, um, like a lot of politics got kind of injected into it. Yep. And, but, in the twenties, the politics were not really there like that, you know. Like, what about Zeppelin stealing all of uh, uh, 
what's his name's tunes? Uh, the uh, Stairway to Heaven or whatever. No, 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 not like Stairway to belly. Heaven. Uh, what? Lead Belly. No, who? Uh, who's that guitarist? Famous African American guitarist from like the '30s. He was really good. Uh, he sold his soul uh, on the road. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. They took a lot of his tunes. Uh, yeah, uh, to an extent, but you know, a lot of people were borrowing stuff too. Yeah, it was like the thing. You know, yeah. that's what they did. It wasn't like it wasn't like stealing. It was like they just reworked people's songs, right? Yeah, plus it was, there was, you know, like this history of tradition, um, you know, and that's probably, songwriting is probably uh, one of the older forms of uh, storytelling, you know, with the whole troubadour thing and all that, so. um, Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think that there's a lot of, you know, uh, people just learning other people's songs and the tradition of passing them on throughout uh decades and maybe even centuries sometimes and then only in the 20th century do people start to want to own songs um you know they want songwriting credit and owning them and that seems to be some sort of uh result maybe of the development of technology too where now we can capture performances and um and then you have people who want to make money off of those you know off of the technologies what the technologies can do so I really think the the idea of stealing other people's songs probably wasn't a thing until, you know, unless you're like Mozart or somebody like that, it's probably <laughs> not really a factor, you know, amongst regular people until the mid to late 20th century, I would bet. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like if you're talking about like rural music, uh, it, it was it's just a different thing before before records, you know, like people just played songs and and uh, shared them and there wasn't any money to be made or anything. Right. Eric, Eric, aren't you, uh, so talk about like, we can move on to the 2021s and you can talk about your new music. Sorry. We, we're on this kick about old. Well, music. Let, before we move off okay. old timey's thing, I just want to say like, Eric is kind of like, you kind of really into tradition, like, like maintaining old traditions, like not just in music, but I know like I've seen some of your earlier films and, Oh, cool. And they're like kind of based on like old newsreels and stuff like that, like very inspired by earlier black and white film. And, uh, and you, you know, like I can, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And like, sure. you're, you're like, it's super into like architecture, old architecture and stuff like that. Right. Um, well, um, when I first, I, I'm originally from Wisconsin and then when my band there moved to, uh, which was Zerobot, moved to uh, San Francisco, I kind of like was pretty blown away by the uh, the bridge uh, <laughs> scene there. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco, yeah, like, the Bay Area has a great bridge scene for sure. What's yeah, the like bridge the, scene? The two, two amazing bridges were built in the 30s. Like, oh, oh. it's not really <laughs> true of any other American city, I don't think. And like, and the Bay Bridge was would have been, you know, amazing enough. That was the one that was built like in the normal way with uh, government funding and taxes and all that. But at the same time, they decided to build the Golden Gate Bridge. And that was built through uh, people in the Marin uh, putting up their houses in some kind of like, you know, like a sponsoring uh, setup that, 
they they, they all people all agreed to sponsor this bridge and it, and it was built that's pretty amazing that's crazy that's so, weird that's crazy like that would never happen now no never yeah <laughs> and be was it because they the the rich people in marin wanted access to the the city more easily or what why why would they fund a bridge why did it work yeah i, I don't know um uh you know it's been a while since i was reading about that stuff but um huh. yeah so i think it was like the uh, i think it was leon moisef or the i don't know it's in that little film actually the yeah. the the general manager of the the bridge project not the engineer but there's a guy who was kind of overseeing it he was uh he um went up to Marin and, and basically knocked on doors, I think, to to get everybody on board with this. And then once they got enough, then they started construction. Didn't people get, like, the bends, like, because they dug a tunnel underneath the... the uh... That was in New York. Oh, that was in New York. Okay. Building the Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. Okay. And that was in the late 1800s, so it was, you know, 50 years earlier. <laughs> That's crazy. Different there's, there's a great story of what they're building a tunnel through the mud under the Brooklyn Bridge before the you know while they were building the bridge, and at one point a guy because of the pressure, he got sucked up through the roof of the mud tunnel, and like oh shot god. out above the water like ten feet into the air. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Did he live? Yeah, he was fine. Oh my yeah. god! Imagine that. <laughs> I do walk in when I you know. I live outside of New York City. I live in Queens, and uh, so I'm around, uh, you know, I'm traveling over bridges and seeing, you know, around lots of bridges. There's so many bridges in New York, and uh, just like the buildings, you kind of get this feeling of um, how uh, intrepid the, uh, the, the people of older traditions, you know, older generations were. They were so brave. And like their limited forms of technology and the structures that they built, like they're just, it's just sometimes it blows my mind at how incredibly brave these people were <laughs> to actually be able to you know, accomplish all the stuff that they did with what they had, you know? Yeah, it, it seems brave to us now, but I, I think back then it was just like accepted. So it wasn't particularly brave. It was just, you know. Right. Yeah. People didn't freak out so much about dying i think <laughs> well that's the thing i mean you you played that your song and it harkens back to an older tradition where of course everyone's like they've accepted that they're all gonna die they're not in denial of it and they're also writing potentially songs that feel happy to us about it because they're they're just dealing with it you know yeah. um and I think a lot of what we're we're doing now is trying to understand our denial of, I mean, I think most people, if you ask them if they're going to die, I mean, they'll say yes. But at the same time, it's it's really about like, well, how long do I get to live? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, can I get can I live 100 years? Can I live more? Like it's all. And also like, you know, people go most of their lives without ever seeing a dead human, you know? Yeah. Which is very different from previous generations. I yes. think I saw someone die in front of my eyes once, but I I didn't oh, check nice. to see if they were dead. But um, I was on a train leaving um, New York City, and there was a, a it must have been a homeless man sitting, you know, just in the um, amongst other people directly across from me, 
and he started to go into seizures and like started spitting up blood and fell down onto the floor. Um, I mean, this was literally directly across from me. I was going uh, to go do some like improv performance out of town. And, you know, the impulse was to check on how he was. But at the same time, God only knows what was wrong with the guy or where he had been. And so, you know, people just left him there. It was really, it's, uh, it it was rough. But I, I, I mean, maybe he lived, but it really looked like he was probably he, just about to die if he didn't die at that moment. Well, somebody should have alerted the driver of the train, right? Yeah, yeah. right. For sure. Or do, or do they not do that in New York? I don't know. I don't know, man. I've never, you know, I've never, uh, I don't think anyone, you know, New York is just so, there's just so much stimulus that I think, um, especially, pro- this was a while ago, so you probably were more like around more homeless people. I, I've saw so many bizarre things in New York that you kind of get strangely, you know, kind of inured to it all. Yeah. Right. You just keep walking like, like back, especially New York in the eighties, just keep your mm-hmm. eyes forward and keep <laughs> walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, so uh, my question is, um, is there something about older art forms, Eric, that it's just intrinsically appealing to you or is that something that you eventually arrived at? You know what I mean? Like where your if your aesthetic sort of harkens back to older music, older film, stuff like that, where's the, where's the pull uh, for you in terms of all that? I guess I always look at it like, um, you know, uh, we're all born in the time that we're born in, but, and so we're aware of like all the pop culture references and the nuances that are going into creating the art and the music of our time but like you know there's other times too and they're probably just as interesting as you know what we're in and so you know make the effort to try to like figure out what was interesting back then about this or that music form or whatever it is but it's what what about it for you though like what is the pull for you specifically well for me at least as far as like old time country music or like uh, old-timey music whatever you call it uh <laughs> i you know this was like when i was in college i was very much into uh you know kind of like simple raw rock like punk rock and hardcore and and uh and to me like the old-time old-timey stuff was pretty similar like it was like a unschooled you know it wasn't you didn't go to music school to learn it and it was done by ear and you didn't read music notes and right. it was, it was about uh, hard hitting subject matter, you know, and it didn't, uh, you know, it didn't, a lot of the, a lot of the old timers, old timey singers that I like most sing in like a real nasally kind of voice that hmm. apparently at the time was very much looked down upon by um, more sophisticated uh, singers in the twenties and thirties as like that's not a proper way to sing or something and like you know i found that to be similar to how punk rock was dismissed by you know (laughs) by the rock establishment at first you know what it's like you saying that completely like brings it to my my eyes like as soon as you said that i was like oh my god he's exactly right they were like the punk rockers of of their day 
Yeah, it's, it's you know a little tempting to, to say to go there, but I I don't know. Like then you got to kind of get into the their heads of the the people who are actually singing. And like I kind of you know I was like, well, were they really like punk rockers? Were they against society and stuff like that? Like I don't I don't think so. But like they but they were very um they were I, I don't know if I want to say proud, but they were definitely not ashamed of uh, where they came from in the hills and the culture that they came from. And, and they were going to sing it that way and play it that way. And, and it didn't, they didn't care what anybody in New York said. About right. It. That's like, ballsy. I like it. Yeah. Well, do you, I mean, uh, this comparison to punk rock and stuff like that, like uh, we could, this is, it sounds like a good segue to talking about like no wave and like your obsession with that and how that led into some of the bands you were in. Like, oh, yeah. Like zero bot. So, um, no wave to me is, is, um, like an outgrowth of the, of the, uh, punk, uh, explosion, I guess. And, uh, it was, I guess the way I see it is like, you know, the Ramones kind of kicked off punk. And if you're going to say that, you know, it's, I don't know, a lot of, you can argue that it's like an evolution starting before them, but, but the Ramones are a good place to start if you're going to just talk about any kind of genre of punk rock. And then from there, it, it, it kind of branches off into like people that are bands that like kept kind of like kept the same or a similar, uh, um, very rock oriented approach sort of. Uh, and then compared to other people who are, wanted to take that energy, but be more artistic with it and, and more experimental and weird with it. And in England that happened with, uh, the post-punk bands like public image and, um, wire and, and, uh, magazine and, you know, all, all these like arty post-punk bands. And then in New York, it happened with the no wave scene. And there was a bunch of people who were, informed and i think liked the ramones and stuff and and the original and the other punk bands but they wanted to take it the next step and and you know what what more can you do with this and they they got more experimental with it and that a lot of that stuff like that record no new york has uh some of those bands like lydia lunch uh dna mars and contortions and and they uh you know, when I heard that stuff, I, I was totally into it because like you could feel the, the punk energy, but also it wasn't being like, uh, you know, constrained by uh, the punk straight jacket that happened pretty quickly. And, <laughs> you know, you had to sound like this to be punk or something. And like, so then in college, I discovered those bands with some friends and, and then like when we started making bands there, like uh, this is in Madison, then we were trying to do something along those lines that had that energy, but that was also, you know, unique and uh, interesting in some artistic, strange way. The, uh, like, I, I read the, you sent me a copy of the album that you just put out for ZeroBot uh, that's like a compilation album. And it came with this, this uh, booklet that had like a long interview with everyone in the band and people uh surrounding the band and they talk a lot about like the 
Madison like funk scene and stuff like that. And <laughs> really, yeah. yeah, and how you guys were kind of like a response to that. Yeah, I don't know about if that was true in other college towns in the mid '90s or not, but in Madison there was, um, you know, bands like uh, Fishbone and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. Were, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like right around 90, 94, 95. they they were just like the you know the kings, and uh, everybody loved that that white funk, whatever it was. And um, you know, I I don't want to diss on anybody's band or whatever, but like. I just never got into it. And like, and there was like a, in Madison, there was another band called man clam chow, which was like, uh, super funky. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. I just didn't get it. And like, yeah. I was like, you know, cause also at the same time, there was a lot of these bands on touch and go, and we're putting out good records. I thought, and, and they were popular like digits and, and Jesus lizard, they would get good crowds in Madison. Right. And I like that stuff. So these all, these bands keep, came from wisconsin jesus the lizard no 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 they um uh touch and go is in based in chicago and then digits were from champaign urbana uh jesus lizard was from chicago so oh yeah uh, but you guys are pretty uh, how close are you guys sorry about two hours two hours so that's not yeah. not far yeah chicago looms pretty large yeah yeah it's in. it's a big city uh, so um, should we play a song? No, I was gonna say. Okay. Do you want to set up one? It... Yeah. Well, we got a few. Andy, to pick a song and he can set it up. We have a so one of the the first song on our board is uh, "Whispers," which was a song I really dug. And I don't know. If, okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Do you want to set it up? Um. Yeah. Well, "Whispers" is, is uh probably better understood if you understand first what the rest of our songs sound like because it was. When we wrote that one, it was kind of like, all right, well, let's let's write instead of screaming. How about we whisper? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> all right, hold on. Okay, so maybe we should play. We, so we don't have a ton of songs on here. No, but, but that's a good. Okay, okay. Well, let's, I mean, let's uh, start with it then. Yeah, that that makes sense. Or do you want to play something other? We else? have, like, if you want to play something that just sounds like a, a normal Zerobot song at first, maybe I really like. I've been really liking Puppet Head lately. Okay, don't well, we don't have all like. the songs, unfortunately. We have okay. Can I have all thirty-seven ready to go. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, we yeah, have uh, Andy. Yeah, we yeah. have. Uh, I just grabbed a, a popper head. Mister uh, Popper's Penguins, Whisper. Yeah. I forced him and Bathosphere were the ones I chose. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, any of those? You know, maybe just play one of those other ones besides Whisper first. Okay. Okay. Let's play Mister Popper's Penguin. Okay. Do you want to set that up or? Okay, Mister Popper's is um, uh. I think that one's kind of more on the mellow side too, actually. And but uh, that uh, Greg, um, the singer Greg, he uh, I think this is based on a children's book that he had as a kid. Yeah, Andy Andy picked the tune, so I think Andy's like a mellow spirit. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little mellower, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I, so I apologize. You didn't give me any exact songs you wanted, so I just All right. kind of yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. All right, let's play it. Thank you. 
Was that it? That was awesome, dude. Holy crap. What what year is that song from? 95. Wow. But that has almost, there's a little bit of funk in there. That's yeah. Funky. Yeah, that song is a little funky. I agree. Um, we, you know, this this record is a, obviously a reissue of, uh, you know, 25-year-old recordings. And um, the us, the, the people in Zero Bot, we were just talking about it at the reissue you know lately and and uh we were noticing how funky the bass is and it's <laughs> i'm playing the bass yeah, yeah but, exactly but Dude, uh, that's sort of a jesus lizard kind of approach too isn't it wouldn't you more, say like well i think it's better thought of as a Minutemen. that's really yeah. Right. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go i go. i love that funk oh yeah mike watt mike watt yeah. from the Minutemen. he was fucking yeah. phenomenal i see i see yeah, he's him. a big influence oh yeah I've seen him in concert. He's so fucking good in a bar in Boston somewhere. That was awesome, dude. I love that song, uh, Mr. <laughs> Puffer's Penguin. Who's singing? Uh, Greg Peters. Yeah. So he, and Greg, a, Greg from the interview sounds like he was a crazy guy. Yeah. You guys should have him on the podcast. <laughs> sure. Come on, man. Endless, endless entertainment. Yeah. All right. He's, he's like a history scholar and he's like, you know, pretty eccentric and he's funny and he's, he's awesome. Dude, we're we're always looking for for good rock and rollers to be on the podcast. So uh, yeah, when I when I met him in college, like he was just like you know this great entertaining guy and and really funny. Like sometimes you would miss how funny his jokes were just because you know he's he's weird too. So like, but then <laughs> later I was like, wait a minute, did he just say that's really funny? <laughs> and then like, uh, but I, I I have this memory of trying to put together a band and it's like wouldn't it be great if if he could possibly be a singer so i was like why don't you try to be the singer and if, if it works it's gonna be great so that's crazy that's like like our our but my buddy dave tree he was another one who became like a punk singer like and he hadn't sang before he just had the personality you know what i mean yeah he sounds like the same guy your your buddy sounds like the, the same guy that's yeah. awesome Let's play another one, man. That Let's was awesome. Play, uh, play the third one. The this third. is well. This is uh, I forced him, which you said you had a story about. Okay, yeah, this one. Um, uh, so I, I might have some of the details wrong. It's been a while, but <laughs> um, I think this song. This is just about the lyrics of the song. And Greg told me that you know Greg would write all the lyrics and sing it. And he said on this one, I think what happened. The story is that he and some friends. Uh, had taken some acid <laughs> and he was they were at a bar and the acid started hitting greg like stronger than usual and he just kind of like lost it just started going a little crazy and he like went up to this group of old men and 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 greg apparently had a chicken sandwich with him at the time <laughs> and, <laughs> and as one does insisting like really strongly that this old man eat some of his chicken sandwich <laughs> holy shit <laughs> and that's what the song's about so if you listen to the lyrics there's like i forced an old old man to eat a little chicken sandwich <laughs> i don't think he liked it very much <laughs> dude dude this is crazy first of all never go to a bar on acid and, <laughs> and actually never eat a chicken sandwich on acid it's hard to eat yeah yeah right not especially yeah. flesh of animals all right let's do this <laughs>
That was fucking That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. That was so good. And I can see what you're saying about the bass being like Mike Watts bass. Mm-hmm. I totally, yeah. dude. I see the influence there. Yeah. That's I didn't really notice it at the time, but listening now I'm like, wow, that's influence. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get away from that stuff. It's 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 honestly like not a bad influence. Holy shit. Wow. No, there's also like uh, I you were you know, you mentioned Fishbone earlier too, and there's also, you know, they have that kind of punk rock personality going on in some of their tunes too. That so, like between, you know, them playing just some straight up sort of thrashy, punky stuff, and and uh, the singer Angelo's personality, which is pretty right. wacky. Seems like yeah. you guys are are you purposely trying to be funny? I mean, like even the compositions are kind of, um. Oh yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we were always spastic. When we wrote it and stuff. And like, yeah, I mean it's it's serious and funny, right? Once you know the story behind it, the song is just so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> song, I don't know if you noticed at the very end of it, we have a couple of them where, you know, usually rock songs would have like a big, loud, crashy ending, right? And we would uh, do like the reverse of that, right? <laughs> Just Which like, also sounds like he's choking on the sandwich. Yeah, to completely like deflate the uh, <laughs> right. <whatever. laughs> what was the? Were you in the bar on acid with him? No, no, I was, this was I, before I knew him. Actually, I think. Do you, Do you know why? I mean, what was the bar like? Can you describe it or anything like that? It's or dive bar in Madison. The stuff is crazy, and you're playing around with timing and stuff like that. And I like that you're adding noise stuff in there and yeah. like weird sound effects and weird vocal stuff and i don't know it's it's just such a fun oh my god that was crazy elements that song is awesome what's the next tune why don't you set well, up whispers tune? we have one more that's not loaded up which is a uh, bathosphere which one okay. would you ra- i can load up bathosphere uh which one would you rather play whispers or bathosphere because we can play one more song i'm loading it up now so you can play whichever um which one would I rather you play? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why don't you try, uh, can you get Pig Jig up? So Pig Jig is, um, this is one of the, uh, when we when we were getting this reissue record together, we discovered about six, seven songs that had ne- never been released on anything. And they, we're not even, we're not sure. We know they were recorded in San Francisco after we all moved there, but then after we moved there, Zerobot broke up like three months later. Um, Greg, uh, f- I think the main reason was the pot was too expensive. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but before he left, we recorded these, these live, these were some of the last songs that we wrote. And it's, at least for us, it's interesting because we can hear like the development of the songwriting and, and um, uh, Pig Jig is, is a, a good one it's one of my favorite bass lines that i came up with i think and and then uh it also if you listen to my bass line and you listen to dave's guitar it i think really is similar to what our next band was which is numbers was coming and that's me and dave were in that band and it sounds like that i think and how and it's interesting that zero bot morphed into numbers nice yeah different. totally all right here's pig jig ready 
Wow. Uh, I think your 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 <laughs> lyrics and everything are pretty freaking funny too. Yeah, and Greg's you, really funny. Yeah. yeah, you can really hear the uh, more expensive marijuana influencing the uh, <laughs> the compositions. <laughs> what year is that song written? That was ninety six. Ninety six. Okay, Holy and but shit. you're in San Francisco when you do when you guys do that one. Yeah. So it almost sounded like there's some more, uh, uh, some more bleep, bloopy bleepy sounds, and maybe some more like almost like someone hitting like a metal, a piece of metal or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think Steve, the drummer, had. Uh, I think he had some more uh, toys in his drum set at that point. Yeah, Which... I, me- I remember <laughs> we had a, a, a primitive theremin that. Uh, Dave, the guitar player, had built from a little kit. Nice, nice. And he started doing that. It was just like a plastic thing. And I think because it was so cheap, it like, you know, it was like more reactive than it was supposed to be or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so he used it for a while in the band and then and then he got tired of it. And then but then Steve was like, well, I'll use it. And then and uh, we were, you know, we were kind of like, OK, how's the drummer going to use the theremin? But uh, whatever. He, he hooked it up and then. Uh, hooked up to his foot, so when he like pushed down on a foot button, it was active and made a, a bar noise. And then, and then he had a position so that if he moved his torso, that that would control the pitch of it. Nice. And so he would, oh, <laughs> crap. He, would, he was like drumming, and then it would go like brrr, like during the drum beat. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. It also kind of reminds me of uh, in the '90s in San Francisco how there was that whole um, sort of robot. And you know, exploding things kind of scene going on. The more SRL? industrial kind of, yeah, 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 exactly. You know what I mean? So, yeah, feels like it's got a little tiny piece of that kind of aesthetic going on in there. Yeah, uh, I was fully aware of SRL. I think that was one of the reasons I wanted to move there. Um, yeah, those guys and, and San Francisco's history with that industrial scene, and and uh, like Monty Cazaza and uh, uh, SPK and throbbing gristle that, that i mean those, those bands weren't from there but you know like I, I love that stuff and like i think that influence comes through in zero bots noisier parts yeah too. you guys now, oh, sorry go, go ahead andy no you go okay andy. you guys did like a uh a combined album with with melt banana didn't you yeah a combined uh split five inch vinyl record and um how did that come about well, uh, well, and just to let people know, Melt Banana is like a Japanese noise band. How would you describe them? Yeah, uh, uh, hardcore slash spazzy noise or something. A lot, a lot of like quick shifting stuff, and um, they're they're amazing. And we Zerobot when we started, we were kind of in a in a vacuum. Like we didn't know of any band, any contemporary bands that were that sounded like us or or uh, or any bands that even liked no wave music that were currently going, we we didn't know of, and um, but it turns out that like, that there was actually a little scene in Chicago with Weasel Walter and Scissor Girls and Duotron and Math and all these guys were very much no wave influenced, and uh, so when we found out about that little scene, we were super excited and went down there to play a bunch and and then um, <clears throat> but with uh. Sorry, I got distracted. What was the question? Oh, I just uh, you and Melt Banana. How that? Oh, Melt Banana. Yeah. So Melt Banana was another band that I think was kind of similar to what we were doing, but we were totally unaware of them. And 
well, I think one day, like somebody said, uh, you should come to uh, the local OK's Corral, which is like the local rock place in Madison where all the bands came through. And and uh, they were like, you should come check out Mel Banana. They're, they're kind of like this Japanese noise band or something. And so we went and uh, I was like totally blown away. And I remember uh, I just couldn't believe there was a band that sounded kind of like us. And so like I remember running home, which is like five blocks away to go get our demo tape and run back to the club to give to them before they left town. <laughs> nice. And so you got them to record with you before they went back to Japan? No. So then they left, you know, continued on with their tour, but they had our demo and then, then now they were aware of us. And then either we contacted them or they contacted us. And I think, I think we contacted them and asked if they wanted to do a split record. And they said, yeah. So. That's dope. Yeah. That's amazing how like, it's just kind of like, I don't know, when you're younger, you don't know. Like, you're just like, yeah, well, I'll just I'll just give this to these people or I'll write them and ask them if they want to do an album with us. And, yeah. you know, and, and then it just happens. Yeah. You know. I don't know. It's cool. Shit happens, man. You had it going on back then. All right, brother. Uh, we are about wrapping up this episode. So, uh, yeah. What do you want to promote, Eric? Um, well, just to uh, say big thanks to Chunklet Industries, which is the record label that put out the new reissue. Uh, Henry Owings, he's a kind of makes a career of, of putting out uh, limited edition vinyl reissues. And I guess he's been a long time Zerobot fan, so he was really excited to, to do this one. I know. Nice. But, um, he's done some great reissues. I, I think he's done uh, Husker Du and, wow. um, some other stuff too so check his stuff out when does it come out um, it's out oh it's out i have a copy yeah. oh okay two weeks, two weeks ago or something yeah and what's the name of the reissue it's just called zero bot and where can people find it um if you go out, if you search zero bot full album on youtube and then look in the comments there's the link to chunklet and you know you can buy the vinyl that way although i think it's sold out right now but he's doing a repress nice well, by the time the repress will happen and when this podcast comes out, people there'll be a new wave of people buying. Right. A no wave. Yeah. A no I would wave. Say. They forgot to tell you, Eric, but they do these podcasts three years in advance. <laughs> yeah. so. No, the podcast's coming out in like a week or two. Yeah. Okay. I mean, unless yeah. you need a specific date. Yeah, if you have a specific date you want us to release it on, we can do that too. No, no, it's fine. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, Phil, you got any links you want to give to anyone? Uh, um, you know, I don't have anything new up right now, but you can check out 30 years of art, um, acting, and music uh, on my website, theseardreams.com. I'm madcarl.com. I'm madspiral.com. Carl Rostano on Instagram. Carl Rostano on FB for the art. Check it all out. I'm uh, andyrestino.com. You can find links to my YouTube channel and Instagram and all that jazz there. And uh, you can uh, get my new book, which is out in stores. Uh, Science, Commerce, the, the Digestive System, which I illustrated, written by Jason Viola. You know, in the old days, when you were in a bar and the bartender was like, hey, you can have the last round and you can have a drink, but you you can go. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay they, here. They meandered a lot more in the old days. I right, think. right.
They said, get the hell out. And I'm saying get the hell out. <laughs> so get the hell out of the action. Thanks to uh, Eric Landmark for being this. Thanks to Carl and Phil for co-hosting. Thanks to all our listeners for listening. Thanks to Nick Gile, the Navy San Spago for the Mad Carl Stomp right now. Uh, thanks to Zero Block and